Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Uh, DeVoe ended up invading the Bahamas uh, to for personal gain. Um, there was a lot to be had in terms of land in the Bahamas. And in a state of war, profiteering is, is possible. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor George Kotlick discussing the 1783 invasion of the Bahamas. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by West Home Publishing, publisher of The Battles of Connecticut Farms and Springfield, 1780, by Edward G. Lengel. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, our guest is our resident Florida expert here at the Journal of the American Revolution, George Kotlick, discussing one of the last major engagements of the American Revolution, the 1783 invasion of the Bahamas. When we think of the American Revolution, we think of battlefields in Pennsylvania, Virginia, the Carolinas, and Georgia, New York, uh, and of course Massachusetts. Um, But we don't often think about the war occurring in the crystal blue waters of the Bahamas. Uh, But that's exactly what happened in 1783. And here on today's episode, George Kotlick will give us all the details on this really unique and perhaps ultimately unnecessary military raid that happened as the Treaty of Paris was being discussed. I've always been particularly fascinated by uh, the campaign in the Bahamas. I think it's interesting and really... I just like it maybe because of a little bit of wishful thinking. Uh, There's a lot of places I want to be right now uh, besides locked up in my home in quarantine, and the Bahamas is certainly one of them. So join us in our little mini vacation in our mind, and of course we are learning about the American Revolution in the process. Uh, So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with George Kotlick. George Kotlick, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Brady. Tell us about your background. Uh, I am a graduate student at the University of North Florida. Um, I'm studying to get my master's of history. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, Brady, I've always been interested in um, local revolutionary war history. I lived in New York before I moved to Florida. And I would always go to battlefields with my dad and I would do research uh, on the history of the Revolutionary War battlefield before going. And um, I would be my dad's personal tour guide. And so that's kind of what got me interested in uh, history and and local history. And then when we moved to Florida, um, I'm fortunate enough to live by St. Augustine and St. Augustine is a wealth of revolutionary war history. Uh, the British were in St. Augustine, um, for between 1763 and 1783. And so I, they were, they were here throughout the entirety of the war. Um, so, so to answer your question, um, 
my interest in local history is what drew me into this particular topic. What was the state of the war in 1783? So by 1783, um, the war was winding down. Um, you had peace negotiations between Great Britain and the United States. Um, on April 15, 1783, the preliminary peace articles were agreed upon between the United States, Spain, and Great Britain. Um, in terms of fighting on the mainland, there really wasn't much going on. Um, but um, in the Bahamas, uh, there was actually some stuff going on. That, that's, that's really the interesting part and the main point of, of, of my article. Let's talk a little bit about the Bahamas. Uh, who controlled the Bahamas at this point in the war and what was believed to be the value of those islands? Yeah, good question. Um, so prior to 1783, the Bahamas were owned and, and, and functioned, and at least in terms of Revolutionary War history, they were managed by the British. Um, the Bahamas have a long history of not really, at least in terms of Revolutionary War history, not being defensible. They were largely uncontrollable by the British. Um, there's reports of governors during the 70s who had a difficult time managing some of the outlying islands of the Bahamas due to pirates, privateers. Um, one of them, one of, one of the former governors was relieved when he didn't have to govern the Bahamas anymore. Um, so the, bah the Bahamas were, were, were difficult to, to manage in terms of uh, looking at it from the British perspective. Um, by the time the Revolutionary War uh, rolled around, um, the Bahamas were constantly raided, um, and the native inhabitants were, for the most part, not supportive of the British. Um, in March 1st, on March 1st, 1776, um, an American fleet under the command of Commodore Ezekiel Hopkins um, landed an invasion force of some 300 Marines. Uh, John Paul Jones, the famed John Paul Jones, was with him during this invasion. Um, the whole affair, this was the first American invasion of the Bahamas, was comedic. Um, the, Bahama, the Bahamanians welcomed the Americans when they, when they got there, actually. Um, the Bahama militia, who were sided with the British, uh, failed to turn out to aid the British. Um, the Bahamas were lost without a shot being fired during that first invasion. Um, the rebels ended up making away with 88 cannons, 5,500 shells, and 11,000 cannonballs. Um, but they didn't leave any men behind to police the Bahamas. So the Bahamas remained under British control. In January 1778, another party of American Marines under Captain Rathburn invaded. The British were unable to put up a fight, and the Americans were just allowed to freely roam the islands and take what they needed. In the end, the Americans ended up spiking the remaining guns, and they left. Um, many, actually, and this here's the comedic nature of it, many uh, native uh, Nassauvians uh, left with them to join the cause. Um, Around late 1779, 1780, up to 1781, um, due to a lack of American naval supremacy, at least until the French Admiral de Grasse's fleet arrived in 1781, uh, the Bahamas posed a naval threat to American trade in the West Indies, especially with their Spanish allies. Um, as 
many people um, are unfamiliar with, um, Spain had a major presence in the Caribbean during the American Revolutionary War. And that, that was actually a whole, the, the contest between Spain and Britain in the West Indies is an entirely different um, a war, really, from the Revolutionary War. But I won't go into that uh, just this minute. Um, so you had that going on. Um, in 1782, um, Spain ended up capturing the Bahamas. The Spanish ended up capturing the Bahamas. Um, uh, they were under the command of the governor of Cuba, Don Juan de Cargigal. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but but he was the governor of Cuba, and he made a presence on that um, invasion force when they ended up uh, landing in the Bahamas and effectively taking it from British control. Um, in terms of the history of the islands, um, not too much happened, at least until 1783, when the French captured the Turk Islands and successfully defended an amphibious assault from Captain Horatio Nelson after the British won naval supremacy in the West Indies after the Battle of the Saints in 1782. So by the time of this article, by the time of um, DeVoe's expedition, the Bahamas was firmly under Spanish control. Now, while the topic of today's conversation, the raid, is taking place, uh, the Treaty of Paris is being negotiated simultaneously. What did the diplomats agree to regarding the fate of the Bahamas at that point? Yeah, so Parliament, at least British Parliament, uh, they didn't view the Bahamas as valuable. Um, they considered the 13 mainland colonies to be extremely valuable. They, they were huge commercial centers. They produced great wealth for the empire. The Bahamas were kind of like a footnote in their proceedings. They, they didn't garner much attention. It, it, they were really inconsequential, at least in terms of comparison between the uh, Bahamas and the mainland colonies. Um, but uh, Article 5 of the Peace Preliminaries in Paris in 1783 that dealt with the Bahamas uh, said this. It said, His Catholic Majesty shall restore to Great Britain the islands of Providence and the Bahamas without exception in the same condition in which they were conquered by the arms of the King of Spain. So the diplomats, at least in Britain, didn't regard, didn't regard the Bahamas as important at all some did but but not not many who was devoe and what did he do andrew devoe uh, was a young man he was from south carolina he had a cousin who fought for the continentals uh, in the revolutionary war um devoe was from a wealthy background um his father was a wealthy planter um he grew up with a lot of money um by the time uh, the Revolutionary War rolled around, uh, he was in his 20s. Um, he ended up enlisting in the uh, British Army as a militia officer. Uh, he raised a regiment of Tories to fight against uh, the Americans. Um, he ended up, during his tenure as an officer in the British Army, he ended up um, fighting... Uh, and raiding a lot of American homesteads along the backcountry. Um, by the time the war uh, was near its end in 1782, he ended up fleeing to St. Augustine um, to seek refuge as a loyalist. 
Why did DeVoe decide to attack the Bahamas? That's a good question. Um, you know, no, no real sources um, say, but it's my suspicion that he did it to gain wealth. Um, but what I mean by no sources say is, is that no, nothing really exists that, that just flat out says, like, this is why he chose to do this. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's open to interpretation, but, but it's my contention that uh, DeVoe ended up invading the Bahamas uh, to, for personal gain. Um, there was a lot to be had in terms of land in the Bahamas and in a state of war, profiteering is, is possible. I mean, you saw it in the Bahamas, uh, Bahamian uh, privateers made a lot of money off the war. So I, I would say that it was for personal profit, um, but that's open to debate. Could you describe the campaign? Sure. So, when he arrived in St. Augustine, uh, it was about 1783, late 1782, early 1783. In February, he decides he's going to attack the Bahamas, and he needs men. So he begins recruiting in February. He uh, finds men, um, finds enough to uh, launch an expedition, outfit them uh, from his personal wealth that he accrued from his father. Um, and he outfitted this group of men by, by March, they were ready to set sail. Um, but they didn't really set sail until April. Um, they ended up, um, drawing up articles of these formal documents that they made every man sign that, that kind of binded them to their expedition. It, it outlined various, uh, it was just a legal document that uh, stated who was in command if Andrew died, um, what would happen with spoils of war, who would it go to, um, and every man was required to sign that. Um, it, I remember on one of the documents it said that um, any man who committed treason or who disobeyed direct orders uh, were going to be, they were going to be cut off from the expedition and they would receive no benefits from any spoils of war. Um, so this document was used then to kind of, uh, control some of these, some of these people who, who went on the expedition and, and no, no mention is made of the types of people, the character of the people, but, but, um, the fact that the documents state that, that there is some, that there needs to be some form of control could, you know, could dictate that he was dealing with some maybe unsavory characters among his company. You know, you, you never, you never really know. So, so that was an interesting aspect about that. Um, he ends up, uh, setting sail then um, in late March, early April. Uh, he, he goes with three main ships, three armed frigates. They're, they're, they're outfitted with cannons and, and various uh, merchant ships. They set sail from St. Augustine and head for the Bahamas. Um, they land there um, on April 6th. They recruit. Uh, they go to the islands and they recruit from the local inhabitants to join their expedition. They um, arm them, form them into companies, uh, provide them with uniforms, and get ready for an assault on uh, the Bahamas. Now, around this time, 
the governor of the Bahamas, Governor Don Clerico, uh, he was Spanish. He received word of, I mean, this was right after the treaty was signed, of the peace preliminaries that occurred in Paris that stated that the Bahamas were to return, uh, they were going to return hands over to the British. Well, DeVoe never knew this. And he, this is going to be an important point in the story later on. But anyways, so the British, they're ready to attack. They're ready to invade. Um, around this time, DeVoe had about 220 men, 300 men. Uh, historians have given different numbers, um, but he had roughly 200 to 300 men with him. Um, most of them did not have enough muskets. Uh, 70 of them or so had pikes. Um, this was uh, not the best outfitted expedition, um, but they went through with it anyway. They went through with their plan uh, to capture the Bahamas anyway. So he lands his men early in the morning. And to give you perspective of the island, uh, you have Nassau, which is the main uh, the main capital of the Bahamas. That's where the governor's house is. That's where, uh, that's where the main seat of government is. Government is, and um, not too far away uh, to the east, there's a fort called Fort Montague. And Fort Montague is a small outlying fort that was used uh, as like a buffer for invasion, invasions such as these. That was that was it was the buffer. So that was their plan of attack. They're going to attack Fort Montague first and secure that. So in the morning, in the early hours of the morning, um, DeVoe gets his men and they go and they assault the fort. Well, the Spanish, they see them coming because Fort Montague is surrounded by a field. They see them coming and they sally out of the fort and form ranks, uh, two men deep and, and they march on, on the, uh, on the British. So they exchange fire. And then after the British exchange fire, this was the first volley, the Spanish run. They, they run back to the fort and uh, man the walls. And, and uh, once they see that there's all these ships out at sea, and this is a point that I'm going to make later on, there's a lot of ships out at sea. The British, it, it, the British made the appearance of having a large fleet at their disposal. Um, the Spanish end up abandoning the fort. In this engagement, the British take two prisoners. As they go into the fort, Mm, something's not right. DeVoe senses something's not right. Reports come back from his men that uh, there are explosives in the fort. So they take their two prisoners, uh, send them in there to disarm the bombs, and they do, um, because they don't want to get blown up. So at this point, they've successfully secured Fort Montesquieu. Governor Clerico is scared. He sends out a white flag of truce. He wants to talk to DeVoe about what he's doing because what he's doing is not, is not right. Um, at least in terms of, uh, the peace preliminaries. So he notifies DeVoe, he notifies him of the changing of the hands uh, of the Bahamas that he tells him, Hey, the Bahamas are, you know, they're yours now. You don't really need to do this. Baha uh, DeVoe would have none of it. He didn't believe him. He said that he was trying to trick him, that this was some form of trickery. And he told him that um, if he doesn't relinquish the fort, uh, they're going to invade it. 
And by the fort, I mean, he's talking about Fort Nassau, which was the main fort um, on the island that protected the capital. It was manned by 500 men, 500 Spanish men. So they drew, they draw up some, after some time, uh, the governor ends up convincing him that, um, you know, we need a truce to kind of work things out. Well, after three days, DeVoe senses that um, he, he's, this trickery is coming back to him. He, he's saying, you know, you're not, this is going nowhere. We, we need to do something. I, I feel like uh, you're, you're trying to trick me. I don't trust you. We're just going to, we're going to go back to war. So what he does is he uh, puts two cannons, two cannon uh, batteries on the hill uh, overlooking Fort Nassau and the governor's mansion. And um, the governor still won't give up the fort. So what DeVoe does is he has his armada. Well, it, it looks like an armada, but it's really not. It's just three frigates and a bunch of merchant ships that couldn't, they wouldn't stand in a fight with, they wouldn't go toe to toe with, with men of war. Um, but so what he does is he gets these small boats to unload men from the boats onto shore. And then when his men got to shore, they would hide in the boats and the boats would go back to the ship and then they'd stand up again and come back to shore. And they did this over and over again to give the impression that they had more men than what they really had. On top of doing this to trick the Spanish, the British got some of their men to dress up as natives and walk around the fort and kind of, you know, loiter and reconnoiter around the fort and at the time the natives on the island were the spanish feared them so that kind of struck some some fear into the hearts of of the spaniards who at this point were thinking okay uh we're we we're outmanned we're outgunned we're they're fight we're scared because we're fighting an enemy that we've been fearful of for a long time um but it was all a ruse the British, they had less than 220 men at the time. Um, they were vastly outnumbered, vastly outgunned. And they were going, these, these were not soldiers who were with the vote. Some were. Uh, David Fanning was a loyalist um, in the Carolinas who fought in the Revolutionary War. He had military experience. He was with him. But a lot of the men under DeVoe were not trained soldiers. And they were going toe-to-toe with Spanish regulars. So... It's it's interesting because this whole time the Spanish are being tricked, and and uh, they're about to lose the fort. They're about to lose their position. So they don't. They, he tries to make an appeal. The governor tries to make an appeal to the British, um, saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're in a precarious." situation here uh why don't you ease off a little bit uh, I, i'm gonna say it again the peach this is yours you, you don't need to do this to us well devoe takes his cannon and shoots the governor's mansion one time and he did that to motivate him to kind of you know all right give us the fort turn this over to us this is ours now and well that was it the governor gave up put up the white flag of truce, uh, he would not have his mansion burned. So, um, 
as the uh, that ended the British invasion, the British ended up capturing the South. Um, the Spanish were forced; uh, they were placed under they were put, they were placed as prisoners of war. Um, and as they left the fort, they looked around at the victors, and they were they were dumbfounded. They, they said they they looked ridiculous. Um, I mean, you had you had men dressed as Native Americans, and and, and they were vastly in a vastly inferior force. And, and the Spanish said they looked ridiculous. Um, so that was the whole history of the invasion of the Bahamas. Uh, the Spanish were allowed to go to back to uh, Havana. The governor, Don Clerico, was escorted back to Spain uh, while the rest of the inhabitants were uh, sent to Havana. And um, the Bahamas, after that point, were at least not on paper, but they were effectively under British control. What was the ultimate result of this action? In the end, um, Britain got word of what happened and they found it comical. Uh, the Loyalist Claims Commission, uh, this was a part of the British government that gave um, money and, and, and things to displaced loyalists from the war. And DeVoe was a displaced loyalist who had applied for the, for, for, uh, claims from losses incurred from the war. Um, they ended up giving DeVoe 100 pounds a year because they were so impressed at what he did in the name of the British empire. Um, in terms of, results of the action and, and the impact that it had in the grand scheme of things, um, had DeVoe invaded months earlier, three months, four months earlier, that the control of the Bahamas would have been a bargaining tool for the British to be used in the peace preliminaries. But since I guess a result of this, then, to put it in more re real terms and, and to put it more realistically, um, what this action did was it placed the Bahamas firmly under British control without having to wait for the uh, period be the, between the transfer of power, which, which normally would take a year. Uh, when the British evacuated St. Augustine, it took about a year to settle debts, to, to, to settle affairs. Um, yeah, when the British invaded the Bahamas, that, that effectively just ended that. And, and, the, and the Loyalists uh, eventually settled um, the Bahamas um, immediately. What can this affair really reveal to us about the nature of the war? This event reveals that the American Revolution was fought on more fronts than just the 13 colonies. The DeVoe expedition shows us that there was way more to the American Revolution than popular narrative tells us. There is an entirely different conflict going on in the Caribbean that is part of the Revolutionary War, was motivated, fueled by, and a part of the Revolutionary War, but it was an entirely different war. It was a war fought between empires, Why, whereas in the 13 colonies, it was a war between former subjects and the empire. So what this reveals to us is not only is this a different war, but it was also a war that was 
a part of American history. George Kotlick, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.